Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the 2023 Masters, the DFS Preview Edition. This is our second of three episodes coming out this week. I know I'm a little late on this one. I promised this one was going to come Monday night, but I was pretty sick going under the weather yesterday. Um, so I just kind of tabled this one for today. So this episode is going to come out. Uh, and then our bets, one and done, props, drafts, all other stuff episode is going to come out later tonight as well. So make sure you're subscribing to the podcast feed. That way you'll be notified when that new episode drops. Um, so that way you can access all of our content here for Masters Week. If you missed the course preview winning trends research episode, you can check that out on the podcast feed as well. That one went up Sunday night. A lot of work went into that one. Um, Again, just trying to make sure that we have every angle covered for Masters Week. Uh, College basketball is officially over, so I was able to devote a lot of time here this week into doing all the research for the Masters. This episode, we're talking purely DFS. And actually, personally for me, I love playing DFS at the Masters. The Masters was actually um, the very first PGA Tour tournament that I played um, DFS on DraftKings for. Um, it was in 2015. It was the year Spieth won it. And um, I didn't really know a whole lot about what I was doing other than that you had to fit in the salary. And I picked guys that I liked and it was Spieth and Phil Mickelson who ended up being the final bearing on Sunday. Um, so I ended up actually winning some money in my very first golf DFS tournament. So I, I always kind of think back to that uh, whenever we come back here to Augusta National. All right. So here's how we're going to do this episode. going to go a quick overview of kind of how to construct your lineups, how to think about ownership here for this special tournament. Um, And then we're going to go price range by price range on DraftKings. If you're playing on FanDuel, all the logic still applies as well, just slightly different prices on FanDuel. Um, But we're going to break that all down here on this episode. Um, So we're going to go ahead and get started. But first, a quick word from our friends at Spotify. So first off, DFS at the Masters is a little bit different from DFS at any other PGA Tour tournament. Most tournaments, we're looking at about 150 players, more or less, um, and you're looking at about top 65 in ties that make the cut. So a little under half the field is going to make the cut at a normal PGA Tour event. Well, the Masters is a little bit different. We've got an 88-player field, uh, and the cut is top 50 in ties, which means that at least 57% of the field will make it through the cut. That means that getting six of six guys through the cut will be very, very common. Now, what that also does for your lineup is all that 88-player field, um, how can I be nice about this? All 88 aren't playable in DraftKings and FanDuel for this tournament uh, because we've got some amateurs in there at the bottom, and we've got some Champions Tour guys at the bottom, some former champions that you know have very little chance of making the cut down there at the bottom. Uh, and so if you exclude all those guys, there's only 73 golfers remaining. And really, if you want to be a little bit more exclusive, you can get that number down to 65 pretty quick also. Um, but if you keep it at 73, that means that in your lineup, you're going to be playing 8% of the field, meaning the average ownership for every player in the field is going to equal more or less 8% unless a lot of people go down and play the amateurs and the old guys, which I don't get why they would. So what that means is ownership becomes a little bit less of an issue because everybody is going to be owned. There's not going to be the magical 1% $7,000 player that slips under the radar and wins you the um, the tournament. You're going to have to kind of balance out... um, you know, playing high owned guys with playing more sleeper value plays and just getting the right combination of guys. Um, This is where one week where I always kind of don't like when people like complain when chalk plays hit in DFS, like, yeah, like they're chalk plays for a reason. They're the best plays for a reason. And usually speaking for the masters, some of the chalk plays at the top usually always hit because what you're going to have to do this week is you're going to have to get guys who not only make the cut, 
but you're going to have to get guys who make the cut and play well. Making the cut and then stumbling to a T57 over the weekend isn't going to help you out a whole lot because there's going to be guys that have the other 56 players in their lineup. Now, also, you do not want to be afraid to spend up at the top when you come to Augusta National. Each of the last 10 winners of the Masters have ranked in the top 18 in the official World Golf Rankings, and almost all the optimal lineups in the last seven Masters featured a golfer in the 10K range. In fact, most of them featured a 10K golfer and a 9K golfer on DraftKings. Now, in this specific iteration of the Masters, there is only three golfers in the 10K and above range. Uh, and to me, there is a big gulf between this big three and the rest of the field. So let's go ahead and get started by breaking down those big three. First is Scotty Scheffler. He is the obvious choice to me. Whatever model or predictive tool that you're going to use is going to pop him out number one. Like he's been playing some outstanding golf. He's the defending champion. And he also finished 18th and 19th in his other two Masters appearances. So he never really has had a bad run here at Augusta. He also has two wins in his last five starts, both of which were elevated events. He hasn't finished worse than 12th at an event since October. And to me, he just fits the course super well. What you want at Augusta, which we talked a lot about this on the course preview episode. Check that out on the podcast feed if you haven't already is that you know you got to have a guy who is a well-rounded golfer is not afraid to hit all kinds of shots and has an elite short game and also excels at hitting with uneven lies just somebody who is generally unflappable no matter what situation they get put in and that is scotty scheffler he's as cool as a cucumber uh, and to me he is the obvious top golfer in the field now, John Rahm is second in salary on DraftKings, and I'm not going to lie. This tournament was being played in February. Like, if you just, like, known somebody that was in a coma on February 1st and woke him up today, they'd be like, is John Rahm the favorite at the Masters? Because he was really playing some good golf back in February. And, in fact, he was playing good golf up and through the first round of the Arnold Palmer Invitational. He was first-round leader, and everybody was crowning him as Masters champion already. But then he kind of stumbled to a 39th-place finish uh, at the Arnold Palmer Invitational over the weekend. And then he also withdrew from the players, which was apparently a stomach bug, was what the rumor was. And then he also didn't make it out of his group as match play. Is, is he was kind of just angry the whole time and just yelling at his putter and just didn't seem like he was having a good time at match play. So it hasn't been a really good run of golf from John Rahm in the last month, but he is still John Rahm. He still has the capability of being that guy that we saw just going absolutely scorched earth over the entire field in January and February. Uh, and his history to Gus National is actually pretty good. He's never finished worse than 27th, and he has four top 10 finishes, but he's also never really contended on a Sunday at Augusta. He's never been in one of the final pairings. He's never been a guy that has serious contention to win a green jacket. So I absolutely think that there is some upside for John Rahm. And I absolutely think that of the big three, he's going to be the least owned of them. So if you're playing the ownership game, if you're looking to get some leverage, John Rahm is probably the choice for you. Now, the last of the big three is Rory McIlroy, whose recent form is a mixed bag. Um, he didn't really contend at the Genesis or the Phoenix Open, and he missed the cut at the players, but he was runner-up at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and he did come in third in the match play event. He also won on the DP World Tour in January. So like I said, a little bit of a mixed bag for the recent form, but his course history to Gus National is kind of incredible, which is even more surprising considering he hasn't won there. We all know the narrative about him wanting to complete the career Grand Slam this week, but he actually leads the field in total strokes gained at Augusta National in the last eight years, and he has five top five finishes at this tournament. So you're talking about a guy who has, you know, not the best recent form, but great history here, has all the motivation in the world to come here and play well and to try to put on that green jacket to complete his career Grand Slam. So like I said, to me, there's a big gulf between these three guys and the rest of the field. My guess is 
that cumulative ownership of these three guys is going to be about 80 to 90%. It would not shock me to see any of them over 30%. Uh, and so you're going to see a lot of people that are building out their lineups, starting with Scheffler, Rahm, or Rory. And to me, at first glance, it kind of seems like all of them are pretty good picks, right? Rahm is going to come in as the lowest owned. Rory has you know a little bit of savings from the other two, and he also has all the narratives behind him. But to me, Scheffler looks like the best overall golfer heading into this tournament. All right, so that does it for the 10K range. Let's take a quick breather and then let's talk about the 9K range. Now, the 9K range on DraftKings is actually really crowded, which is kind of to be expected at a major championship, right? There's a whole lot of guys that are at about at the same tier and just kind of have about the same chances to win, in my opinion, uh, and they're all kind of lumped here in the 9K range. Now, if you wanted to start your lineup with one of these guys to be a little bit different, you absolutely can. You can also use any of these guys as the second guy in. Now, I'm going to start the 9K range analysis with this. If you want to play the ownership game, I think that Cantlay, Homa, and Xander Shoffley are going to go under-owned. Uh, Cantlay and Homa do not have good major history, like, at all. Patrick Cantlay has played in 23 majors, and he has three top 10s. The only good finish he has at Augusta is a ninth-place finish in 2019, where he actually had a cameo as the, the leader on Sunday after he eagled 15, but then he kind of just stumbled to the finish and ended up ninth. So for Max Homa, he's a much better golfer at this point in his career than he ever has been, but he doesn't have any good finishes of note at Augusta, and he's also yet to show me that he can win outside of the state of California. I would probably prefer to have seen that already out of Homa heading into this tournament as opposed to, you know, expecting him to all of a sudden do it at Augusta. Now, Xander Shoffley missed the cut here last year, and he's been okay, but he hasn't had any ceiling performance since he came in third at the American Express in January, which was not a great field, is not a great course comp for Augusta National. So I'm really just not seeing it out of any of these, these three guys, and I think that's going to be kind of the common narrative around these three. So I think the ownership is going to be pretty low. I think there is a little bit of a crowd on Patrick Cantlay, but I, I just... I'm not buying it with him. I would personally, between these three, I would prefer to go Max Homa because we have seen his ceiling in recent months. Now, for the other 9K guys, we got to talk about Cam Smith. He's the big wild card of this tournament. And honestly, I can't make any kind of argument in favor of his recent form. Like, he really hasn't been good. He only has one performance where he finished in the top half of the field on Live. That's the Live Tour, y'all. It ain't the PGA Tour. And he only has one time where he's came in the top half. So like pretty much equate that to one made cut. Like that's not good. But here's the one thing that does kind of go for him though. Cam Smith is the king of the rain. Like just the utter king of the rain on the PGA Tour. What I mean by that is he excels in tournaments where it gets rainy, it gets windy, it gets wet. And he just seems to do really well at those type of events. He won the Sony Open in 2020 uh, in a rainy conditions. He was runner-up to DJ at this event in 2020 where it was wet and rainy. And he also won the Players' Championship in 2022 when we had a whole lot of rain at that tournament. And he also has four top 10s at Augusta National. So looking at the forecast, there is actually a very good possibility that we see some rain this week at Augusta. And, you know, with rain kind of comes a little bit of upside for Cam Smith, right? I'm probably going to wait and see like I'm not a meteorologist I don't know what the weather's going to do right now on Tuesday but I'm probably going to wait and see if it does look like it's going to be one of those you know rainy windy type of tournaments I definitely think he's worth it's worth a shot if the weather's going to be clear though I really don't like him all that much if I'm being honest just because I, I don't see any sort of positives with the recent form now Jordan Spieth is like like 
you don't you don't ever have to pull my leg to play Jordan Spieth, right? He I, I like him a lot. He's a Texas Longhorn. Uh, he just plays really well at Augusta. In fact, he's second behind Rory McIlroy in strokes gained total in the last eight years at the Masters. He only missed one cut at this event total in his career. It was actually last year. Now, the bottom line is, though, he's more than just course history. He's got some recent form, too. I really like where his game is at coming in. He's got three top six finishes in his last six starts, and his short game has been outstanding. He's going to need some of that short game magic if he wants to get up and down at Augusta National, and I absolutely think this is a place where Spieth could get it done. Jordan Spieth, my favorite play in the 9K range. Now, Spieth's good friend, Justin Thomas, is a guy that, to me, Everything just kind of sets up decently for him, but there's no real one attribute that like really makes him stand out as a guy that has the upside to win this golf tournament. He kind of just has decent recent form coming in. Like he hasn't really like popped, hasn't really had any great finishes recently. And he also has decent course history. He's never missed the cut at Augusta, but he only has two top 10 finishes. Now, if you were to kind of hang your hat on one thing for Justin Thomas is that he is a great around the green player. He is very good at chipping the golf ball, which you're going to need a deft touch around these greens at Augusta if you want to get up and down. But the problem with him is not the getting up, it's the getting down. He, he just has been terrible with his putter recently. And if he does get that putter to cooperate, he does have the upside to play very well in this golf tournament. But I'm just not super confident that we're going to see that out of his putter. So Justin Thomas, I think, you know, he might set up as another one of the contrarian plays here in this 9K range. I don't mind going to him, but I would definitely rather pay up for Jordan Spieth. Now, Colin Morikawa on paper is a guy that I don't think sets up very well for Augusta National. He's not super long off the tee. He's not great on or around the greens. And he's at his best when the golf course is super flat and he can just ball strike it to death. Like when he gets like really dialed in with his irons and is just able to hit every green and knock down enough putts, that's when Colin Morikawa wins golf tournaments. That's not exactly what Augusta National is going to be. But the good thing is with Morikawa, though, is that he is trending in the right direction at Augusta. He's three for three and made cuts. He's improved his finish in every trip, which peaked with a fifth place finish last year, which was capped off with the memorable holing out on the 72nd hole. I think Colin Morikawa has a lot of upside. Like I said, on paper, I don't think he sets up very well for this course, but he kind of proved that wrong with the fifth place last year. I definitely think he's a guy in this range to look out for and does have legitimate upside to win this golf tournament. All right, so that does it for the 9K range. Let's go ahead and take a quick breather and then let's talk about the 8Ks. Now, to start off the AK range, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Tony Finau is my favorite play in this range. He's been absolutely on a tear recently. He's playing the best golf of his career. He has not finished worse than 20th in any PGA Tour event since November. Uh, and he's 5 for 5 in made cuts with three top 10 finishes at Augusta National. So he's got the recent form. He's got the course history. And I think he actually profiles really well for this course. We talked about all these features yesterday that you want to be to succeed at Augusta National. Long off the tee, check. Creative when it comes to dealing with uneven lies and shot shaping, check. A guy that can get up and down and be creative in the short game, check. Like he just checks off all the boxes of somebody who can do well at Augusta National. He's playing the best golf of his career. And because he hasn't found the winner's circle since the Houston Open, I feel like people are kind of forgetting about him. And I think he's going to come in lower owned than he should. I really like the upside of Tony Finau this week. And it would not shock me if he found himself in the final pairing on Sunday at Augusta. Now, like fellow live mate Cam Smith, J Dustin Johnson is a bit of a wild card also. However, he's at least playing good golf right now. He's came in 13th and 7th place in his last two 
starts on live, which say what you want about the live tour, 13th and 7th in any golf tournament. It's not bad, right? Now, he's also got some pretty good course history here to Augusta. We all know that he won the 2020 November Masters, but he's also finished 12th or better at Augusta in six of the last eight years. Uh, the worst finish that he had actually was a missed cut in his title defense in 2021. And then he had the weird WD in 2017 when he was like staying in a rental house and like slipped and like broke his back. Um, if you remember that story six years ago, I, I remember I was in college. It was kind of like the wild news of the week. Um, but anyway, um, that's what you're getting out of Dustin Johnson. He has elite course history. He's playing well, but he is a live guy. So like the, the whole enigma of the live tour, how are they going to play in this first major? We don't know. They're not used to playing 72 hole competitive golf. They're not used to dealing with a cut. They're not used to a whole lot of, you know, other competitors at this event that are just as good as they are. So you're just really looking at a whole lot of variables with Dustin Johnson. Do I think he has the upside to win the golf tournament? Absolutely. Do I think it's a likely outcome? Probably not. Jason Day is next up, and he's been playing some great golf. He has six straight top 20 stroke play finishes, and then he also made it to the Elite Eight in the match play event. But the thing is with Jason Day, though, is as great as he's been playing, he's never really contended for a win in any of those events. Like, I've never turned on the Sunday broadcast and, like, seen his name, like, at the very top of the leaderboard unless he was, like, already in the clubhouse. Like, it just, it's kind of weird how well he's played without ever actually, like, seriously threatening for a win. Now, his course history here is a bit of a mixed bag. He hasn't made the cut here to Augusta since 2019, but he does have some solid finishes. And I think he's a solid play overall, but I do question whether or not he has the upside to actually win this golf tournament. I think he's a guy that's likely to, you know, finish around 10th to 17th place, but I don't think he's a guy that you're going to see hoisting up the green jacket on Sunday night. Now, Cameron Young is a guy who fits the narrative for a bomber when it comes to this golf course here at Augusta National and definitely does, you know, benefit bombers. Um, and also what I think is interesting with Cam Young is he only had one appearance here at Augusta. He missed the cut last year, but I kind of think he's a different golfer now than he was then. Uh, he recently got a new caddy. Paul Tesori, who was the longtime caddy for Webb Simpson, has a lot of history in major championships, has a lot of history at Augusta. Uh, and, you know, in his first event with Paul Tesori on the bag, he came in runner-up at the match play. So I definitely think that that bodes well for Cameron Young. We're yet to kind of see how that's going to play itself out in a stroke play event or a major championship for that matter, but I definitely think there's a lot of upside for the young guy at Wake Forest when it comes to Cameron Young. Victor Hovland is a guy that is quite intriguing in my opinion. He is generally one of the worst chippers on the PGA Tour. He grates out as one of the worst around the green players on the PGA Tour week in and week out, but for some reason, it's actually been positive for him around Augusta, and in fact, he actually tends to be pretty good around the greens in major championships. I don't know how, I don't know why, but he seems to turn around in majors. Maybe it's because it majors like everybody struggles to get up and down. And so if he's just one of the group that is struggling to get up and down, like he's not doing any worse than he was before, right? Now at Augusta, his finishes are actually decent. He's never missed a cut in three tries, but he's also never finished top 20. But what I really do like about Victor Hovland coming into this event is that his ball striking was really on point in the Florida swing uh, at the Players' Championship and at the API. He was hitting a lot of greens. He was really striking his irons well. And like I said, if you can just get the solid around the green play from him, he definitely does give you the upside uh, as a guy who can win this golf tournament. Now, Hideki Matsuyama, I'm not going to spend a long time on. He's an enigma. 
in 2021, he won this golf tournament, which was, you know, a really surprising win. And he played outstanding. It was, it was fun to watch. But he actually didn't have great lead-in form coming into that tournament. He broke a lot of the trends um, that winners had heading into Augusta. And what's weird is that, like, he hasn't been playing super well, but he has better lead-in form this year than he did in 2021. So he absolutely gives you that winning upside, but he also gives you the risk that, like, he might just, you know, blow up and withdraw by Friday morning. I, I don't know what to expect about Hideki, but I definitely do think that he gives you that winning upside. Now, Will Zalatoris has about as bad of a recent form as you can ask for. Um, what's interesting is that it was reported that he was a WD from the match play with a back injury, but he's coming out this week and saying that he was sick, and that was why he withdrew, which is, I don't know, I don't know what to make of that. I'd rather, I guess I'd rather have him be sick than have it be a back injury, but I don't know if there actually is a back injury or not now is the question. You know, the thing is with Will Zalatoris, though, is when it comes to major championships, he is like the new Brooks Kepka, like like what prime Brooks Kepka was from 2017 to 2019. Will Zalatoris is approaching that category, right? In his two appearances at Augusta, he's came in runner-up to Hideki and then T6 last year when Scotty won it. Uh, and in fact, he's played in seven total major championships on U.S. soil since 2020. And Will Zalatoris has been top 10 in six of those seven major championships. So I really think that, you know, throw out the recent form, throw out all the videos of him missing two-foot putts, throw out all the everything else. It's a major championship. It's Will Zalatoris. I think it's very likely he's going to be around and in contention on Sunday. Now, Sung J.M. is another guy who also has sneaky good Masters history. He's played the event three times, and he has a T2 and a T8. However, the downside is, is that he did miss the cut in 2021. So... You know, you're looking at a guy that can give you a really good finish and cannot give you a really good finish, which is actually evident in his game log as well with his recent finishes anyway. He continues to pile up top 10s. I think he's shown an ability to be like the shot maker that Augusta requires from you when dealing with the uneven lies, when dealing with the different shot shapes throughout the round. Um, and I definitely think that, you know, his approach play gives him a really good chance. Um, I just don't know if he has the upside to actually win the golf tournament. And that's what I say about him every week on the PGA Tour. I think he's a guy that if you play him in DraftKings or FanDuel, you're going to be happy with a top 10 out of him, right, considering his price point. But I don't think he's a guy that is likely to win the golf tournament. All right, so that does it for the 8K range. So let's take another breather, and then we're going to finish it off with the 7K range and below. All right, at the top of the 7K range on DraftKings sits Shane Lowry, a guy who has a great major championship track record and who is actually starting to kind of put it together at Augusta National. He has three straight top 25 Masters finishes, peaking with third place last year. And to me, he just kind of sets up really well for this course from what we know about Shane Lowry, right? Like, he's a guy who is really crafty, really creative around the greens. He's great at hitting from uneven lies. And also, like I talked about with Cam Smith earlier, if the weather gets nasty, that's when Shane Lowry actually, to me, is really, really appealing. In fact, I kind of think, you know, maybe this is wrong of me to think that, but I kind of think that a lot of the European and international guys tend to play better in bad weather as opposed to Americans. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But when I think about guys that excel in windy, rainy conditions, Shane Lowry is definitely one of them. And so I definitely think that there is a really good chance I'm going to be playing Shane Lowry in my lineups this week. Now, Justin Rose is a guy who could be labeled as being past his prime, but I actually think he's in better form right now than he has been since when he came to this event in 2019, when he was world number one. Um, recently, he has won at Pebble Beach, and he came in sixth at the Players. Now, in the last eight years, he's been pretty good at Augusta. Although he does have two missed cuts, he has five top 12 finishes here at Augusta National. So like Shane Lowry, I think he's another guy sitting here at the top of the 7K range who I could definitely see myself playing in my lineup. 
Now, the mid-7K range on DraftKings is absolutely loaded, in my opinion. Kind of at the, you know, mid-top 7K range, you got Tommy Fleetwood sitting there at 7,700, uh, and he's been pretty good at Augusta National's career. He has five straight made cuts, and that actually peaked with a tie for 14th last year. He's also coming in with pretty good recent form with the third-place finish at the Valspar. He's also another guy who excels in bad weather conditions, and we all know the narrative about how Tommy Fleetwood's never won on American soil. Well, it actually kind of doesn't bode well for him to win this event. You know, like generally speaking, guys who win the Masters, it's not their first win on American soil, unless you're Charles Schwartzel. Uh, and so I kind of don't necessarily think he's going to win this event, but if you're playing him on DraftKings, you don't need him to win. I mean, if, if and his price tag is $7,700, if you just get like a top 10 finish, you're going to be more than happy with Tommy Fleetwood. So I absolutely, um, he's another guy that I could see playing in my lineups. And I really, really do like this 7K range this week. Now, continuing on with this mid-7K, we got Brooks Kepka right here, who won at Live Orlando last week. And, I mean, is Brooks back? I don't know, but do you remember back from 2017 to 2019 when Brooks was in, like, every major? Whether he won it or not, he was there. And, like, you had to beat Brooks if you wanted to win. Um, now, at the Masters, he's kind of had a mixed bag. Uh, he's missed the cut in the last two Masters that he's played, but he was runner-up and a seventh-place finish before those two finishes. So I kind of think that... I'll be honest, I think I would have been more likely to play Brooks if he had not won last week. Because now I think the fact that he did win, I think everybody's going to be playing him. And I kind of would have preferred to be the only guy playing Brooks than not playing Brooks. Because the, the bottom line, you got to remember Brooks, from everything that we've read in terms of interviews and you know just what, wherever he's said and whatever he's done in his career, he loves the majors. He's going to show up for the majors. And I kind of think that he's, you know, trending in the right direction with his recent form. I think that he looks fully healthy. Um, and I think that he's in a pretty good spot. And on DraftKings, do I think he's going to come in a little bit over-owned? You know, probably so. But if you're willing to eat a little bit of ownership, I definitely think he's a guy you can go with that does give legitimate winning upside. Now, speaking of winning upside, Corey Connors won the Valero Texas Open last week, which was weird because there was kind of the narrative that whoever won that was going to get into the Masters. And then, oh, look, the guy that won it is already qualified for the Masters. So it was kind of weird. But anyway, Corey Connors is a guy who has sneaky good course history here at the Masters. He has three straight top 10 finishes at Augusta National. He is normally one of the worst putters on the PGA Tour, but not here. Like, he tends to putt the ball very well at Augusta National, which is strange, but like, I'll take it. And he's another guy here at $7,600 that I absolutely think makes a lot of sense. And if he just continues that streak of top tens, you're going to be a happy camper with playing him in your DraftKings lineup. Now out of this group at $7,600, I think Minwoo Lee has the chance to go under owned because I think a lot of people are just going to click Brooks or click Corey Connors and ignore that the best play of this range might be right there with him. Now, Minwoo Lee has great finishes on the DP World Tour earlier in the calendar year, uh, but he also came in sixth place at the Players' Championship, which is kind of like a pseudo-major in terms of the quality of field and the, just the guys that play there. And so I kind of really like that coming into this event, how he's playing. And last year, he was actually T14th as a debutante here at Augusta national he hits the ball a mile and he's pretty good with his short game and so i think that he fits the course really well and one thing that i really do like i, I saw this stat on twitter is that weighted birdie or better percentage is a stat that generally is pretty relevant in terms of winning here to gust national and he actually leads the field at weighted birdie or better percentage ahead of scotty Scheffler, ahead of rory mcelroy so i think that that kind of bodes well for min mood right i don't think he necessarily wins the golf tournament but i think that he is in prime position to you know deliver what he did last year and give you another t14 which if he's in your DraftKings or fan lineup that's more than enough to pay off his price tag
Now, looking further down the board, we got Siwoo Kim at 7,400 hours on DraftKings that has sneaky good Masters history. He has five straight made cuts. You never know what you're going to get with Siwoo, so you know he might just have ejected from the event by Thursday afternoon, but if he continues that made cut streak, you're going to be happy camper with playing him on DraftKings. Now, the low 7K range I think is absolutely loaded also. So first off, you got Tiger Woods at 7,300 hours, who we got to talk about. So we all know about his health, right, and how it's not the best and how, you know, making it through four rounds is going to be a challenge for him. Well, he does kind of have better form coming in this year than he did last year. Like, he came in 45th place at the Genesis Invitational, which was a pretty good sign, right? Like, he made the cut comfortably and played pretty well on Sunday. And so I kind of think that, you know, this is kind of – if you're ever going to play Tiger, there's more evidence to play Tiger now than there was in any of the four majors last year. And speaking of last year, he actually came in 47th here last year, which would not have killed you if you had him in your DraftKings lineup. And he was really laboring through Saturday and Sunday. It really looked like watching him, I'll be honest, it was kind of sad. Like he just looked like he was in a lot of pain and it just wasn't going well for him. But it is Tiger at Augusta and he has not missed the cut here since 2013. So I previously said on my Genesis Invitational podcast that playing Tiger was simply a for the vibes decision where if you want to root for Tiger, Tiger Woods, you can play him in your DraftKings lineup, and that's your prerogative. But I actually think there's legitimate merit here in playing Tiger at Augusta since we've seen him finish the tournament at Riviera and since he got such a good history here around Augusta National. I think Tiger Woods is actually a legitimate play here at $7,300 on DraftKings. Now, sitting there with Tiger at $7,300 is the guy who's kind of like the anti-Tiger Woods. Like, I would play Tiger just because I want to root for Tiger, and I could play this guy on my DraftKings lineup and still not want him to win the golf tournament, and that is Patrick Reed. Um, he has won this event before. He does have a green jacket, and he does actually have some pretty good finishes on live, but, like, he's also Patrick Reed, and if you play him, you got to kind of root for his success and... I don't really want to do that, so I'm probably not playing Patrick Reed this week, but he is worth mentioning as a past champion and as a guy who is one of the live guys who has better recent form than others. Now, Taylor Moore is a little bit further down the board. He's a debutante here at Augusta, but he's playing some really good golf. He actually won his last start at the Valspar Championship. I think he's really talented, and I think he's a solid, like, just solid choice there at $7,200. Now, if you want a guy who's a little bit more of a major championship pedigree at that price tag, you do have Louis Oosthuizen who has a mixed bag of finishes on live, some good, some bad. Um, he actually had four straight top 30s at Augusta National until he withdrew last year, so he's got course history going for him. And actually, it wasn't just four straight, it was six of seven top 30 finishes. So you're looking at a guy who has elite level course history here at Augusta, who's down this far down the board, and I kind of think it's because he's been playing on live, but... I don't know. Louis Oosthuizen kind of has a little bit of Brooks Kepka in him where he always seems to show up at the majors. So I definitely think that there is a solid chance Louis Oosthuizen is going to find his way into my lineups. Now, of all the live guys, the one with the most consistent finishes recently is actually Mito Pereira. He has not finished worse than 15th in a live event since he joined last summer, uh, but he is a debutante here at Augusta National. I think he's a solid bet for like best debutante finish um, in the betting market. More on that in our episode that's coming up later tonight, actually. Um, but I kind of just, I don't know. I don't really think that there's a whole lot else other than like the good live finishes to go off of. Now, if you do remember the PGA Championship last year at Southern Hills, Mito Prayer almost won that. In fact, he went to the 72nd hole with a lead. Uh, and if you've watched Netflix's full swing, it was kind of like kind of heartbreaking to watch that happen to him. But then you remember that he joined live and it kind of got less heartbreaking. I don't know. It was a weird viewer experience. But anyway, last year at Southern Hills, he played really well. And everybody was comparing Southern Hills to Augusta National, saying that it was a great comp course because of the green complexes and because how difficult it was to get up and down. And he almost won that event. So I kind of think that the good comp course crossover might be there for Mito. Uh, and so 
I kind of really like him down here as a sneaky play down here at $7,200. Now, heading further down the board is Keith Mitchell at $7,100, and he made the cut in his only appearance at Augusta National in 2019, but he is actually playing the best golf of his career right now. He's gaining a lot of strokes off the tee. He's strung together a lot of really good finishes lately, and I really think that this sets up pretty well for Keith Mitchell. Another thing you got to remember, he is a Georgia Bulldog. He's from the state of Georgia, and so this is pretty much going to be a home game for him. His whole family is going to be here, uh, and so I definitely think that all the vibes are heading in the right direction for Keith Mitchell. He's playing great golf, and he's heading back to his home state in good form. I, I really like Keith Mitchell's chances of not only making the cut, but giving probably a top 20 finish as well. Now, heading down to the 6K range, which is a range that, in all honesty, you can avoid if you want to, but believe it or not, most of the Millionaire Maker winning lineups featured at least one guy in the 6K range. So if you're really looking to win the Millionaire Maker and you're looking to kind of go with a little bit lower ownership, I definitely think that these 6K guys are going to carry lower ownership than the guys that I just mentioned that are in the 7K range. Now, the problem is, is that there's a lot of guys in this range who don't really give you a whole lot of upside. Like, I think there's a lot of guys in here that I think are likely to make the cut, but not likely to actually contend down the stretch. Um, examples of that would be Seamus Power, Taylor Gooch, Brian Harmon. If you play any of the three of those guys, like that's great, go for it. But I don't think any of those guys are winning the golf tournament. They're all playable in DraftKings, but they're not going to win you the golf tournament. Now, that's going to appear really ironic on Monday when Seamus Power has a green jacket. But anyway, um, the one guy in the 6K range that I do think has legitimate upside is Danny Willett. He's a former champion of this event, and his lead-in form is actually sneaky good. It's better than it was when he won the Masters in 2016. He has five straight made cuts, four of which were top 40 finishes. And, you know, we've talked about the potential forecast of rain. Well, rain played a factor the year he won the Masters as well. It was really rainy in the, like, week leading into the Masters, so you didn't have any really delays, but you did have a very wet golf course, and he did kind of succeed very well. Uh, and then you also had a lot of wind that week as well because, you know, his winning score was minus five, whereas like a lot of the other recent champions were much lower than minus five. So I definitely think that that kind of bodes well for him if the weather does get a little bit choppy. Now, the downside is, is that his course history at Augusta National since he won has not been great. He's played it six times. He's missed the cut four of them. He also has a 12th and 25th place finish. So I definitely think that there's some good with the bad, but I think that Danny Willett does give you some legitimate upside from down here in the 6K range. Now, another guy that is worth mentioning here, and solely because of his course history, is Cameron Champ. He is coming in with some horrible lead-in form. He's missed four straight cuts on tour, but his history to Gus National is like like sneaky good. He's had a 19th, a 26th, and a 10th place finish in his only three trips to Augusta. And his recent form in any of those trips wasn't really that great either. He fits the narrative of a bomber because he hits the ball a mile, and he kind of like has been sneaky good around the green and putting here at Augusta National. So if you're really buying into course history, he's definitely a guy you can put in your lineup. Now, 6,500 and below, I'll be honest, gets pretty rough. Um, with the soft pricing at the top, I really don't think you have to go 6,500 or below. Um, there are three guys down here that I think are worth playing. Um, Kokrak and Charles Schwartzel are two of them. Uh, both of them were top 15 here last year. Schwartzel we know is the formal former winner. Uh, Schwartz actually already has a win on live as well. So he's playing not terribly. Um, I think that he's not a terrible choice at $6,400. And then I'm also willing to play Adrian Moronk, who to me is like a guy that he doesn't have any history at Augusta, but if you're betting on talent, he, he's a guy down in this range that is very talented. And I think that he does have some quality wins on the European tour and he can give you a little bit of upside there at, you know, his low price tag. All right, so that does it for the DFS preview for the 2023 Masters. 
as we said earlier, we will be back later tonight with an episode where we talk about our favorite bets, our favorite pool picks, one and done, all that extra stuff we're going to be talking about on a separate episode. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll be notified when that episode is dropped. Also, while you're there subscribing, please rate and review the podcast. It really helps me out a lot. Like I promise it really does help. Um, so with that being said, y'all, we will be back here to talk more Masters here later tonight. Hopefully you guys tune into that episode as well. But if not, best of luck to you in all your DFS endeavors at Augusta National this week. Hopefully you were able to go six for six and able to hopefully have a chance to win the DraftKings Millionaire Maker this week. All right, so that does it for this episode, guys. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see y'all next time.